One of the ways denominational missions agencies are funded is through yearly big offerings. Uh, Southern Baptists, they have the Lottie Moon offering that they take in December. Free Will Baptist, we have the World Missions offering. Used to be it was on Easter Sunday, but they now they change it. I don't know how they determine what Sunday it's going to be each year. But this year, it's been designated for April the 25th. Uh, for all Free Will Baptist churches to try to take up an offering to benefit world missions, to help help them plant churches and win, make disciples overseas. That, though, is the Sunday for us that we are hosting the Central Oklahoma Adult and Teen Challenge, and we will have C. Brody as he gives his testimony, so that will be exciting. Uh, but we're going to take up a love offering uh, for the ministry on that Sunday. So we're not going to take up two offerings and two special offerings in one day. Nobody gets a good offering at that taste, and I don't want to just push it to the next week because two special offerings week after after the next doesn't seem good. So we're going to put ours off until May the 16th. I don't know how it works as far as you know whether how they determine it, but we're going to take up an offering. We'll send it in as the World Mission offering. Uh, our church may not be listed in one magazine as church that gave for the World Mission offering because it comes in late, but. They'll take the money regardless of when it comes in and be glad to receive it. So we're going to take up an offering then. And I tell you this because obviously this is our monthly prayer service and our focus tonight is praying for the nations. Now, this is in two reasons. One, we are doing it in part because of the World Missions offering at the end of the month or in our case, the middle of next month. Uh, and I wanted to kind of do this to get our hearts ready for it. But this has been on my my heart, anyway, we would be, if World Missions offering was not until June, we would still be doing this this month. So what I, I want to do is just uh, Scott did that because I left it right there. Anyway, um, what I want to do tonight is just kind of remind us first, there's three three parts to the. The service tonight. First part is God's heart for the nations. And I just want to remind us that, that God has always been for the nations. Second part, we'll talk about some specific ways to pray for Free Will Baptist international missionaries. And then the final way, what we'll do, the final part is praying for the unreached peoples of the world. So we talk about God's heart for the nations to start with. And and, and the fact is, God's heart has always been for the nations. We're familiar with the Great Commission given by Jesus at the end of His life, or His end of His earthly ministry before He ascended to heaven. Jesus came and spake to them, saying, All power is given unto Me in heaven and on earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age, unto the end of the world. Now, the Greek word translated as nations means more um, than what we typically think of. Right. The, the Greek word is something is pronounced something like pantata ethne. And it means more than, say, the United States or Bulgaria or India or Canada or anything along lines. And what it means is actually better than that. Right? The people of Jesus' day didn't really think so much in terms of nations as we think, but what they thought in, of was more of what we would call ethnic groups or people groups. Right? Every nation is made up of multiple ethnic groups, multiple people groups. So for the United States, for example, think about Native Americans. We often t- say Native Americans to refer to all Native Americans, but we know 
that Cherokees are not Apaches. We know that Creeks are not the Sioux. And Chickasaws are not Seminole. That, that's the basic idea of ethnic or people groups. So some statistics. The United States has 513 unique and distinct people groups within our nation. India has 2,717. Bulgaria has 31 unique and distinct people groups. Pakistan has 512 and the Ivory Coast has 108 unique and distinct people groups. In total, there are 17,461 unique and distinct known people groups in the world. And God intends to save people from each and every one of those people groups. Now, the idea of God saving people from all the people groups of the world is not a, a modern idea based upon the cool linguistics of, what I say, uh, ponta ta ethne. Instead, it is something we find all throughout the Bible. The idea of God going to save from every people group, every ethnic group, is found in the Bible. In Sunday, this will be part of our sermon on Sunday, as we go through, go back into Revelation. They sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take this book, to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain, and hast redeemed us to God out of what? Every kindred, every tongue, every people, and every nation. Right? Every kindred, tongue, people, and nation is basically saying every ethnic group, every people group on the earth. So God saving people like this is, is in the Bible, but it's not even just a New Testament idea. Even in the Old Testament, we see the concept of God going to save all the nations. God is going to save all the people groups. Right? So God calls Abraham and he says, now the Lord had said to Abram, get thee out of thy country from thy kindred, from thy father's house to a land that I will show thee and I will make of thee a great nation. I will bless thee. I will make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing, and I will bless them that bless thee, curse them that curseth thee. In thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. All families is the same idea as all nations, or pontata ethne, or every ethnic and people group, or every kindred and tongue and people and nation. Think about it. How will... 17,461 ethnic or people groups be blessed through Abraham? Well, the answer is, of course, through Jesus, whose death and resurrection atoned for the sins of the world, making Matthew 28, 18 and Revelation 5, 9 possible. God has always intended to save people from every ethnic group, every people group. This was true even in the Old Testament. Often we have the, the wrong idea that the God in the Old Testament was only interested, was only concerned with the Jewish people. And then in the New Testament, Jesus came and suddenly God is interested in the nations. He's interested in everyone. And this is wrong. As we see in Genesis 12, God always intended to reach the nations. God always intended to reach all the families of the earth through his choosing of Abraham. But God's choosing of Abraham, the point of choosing Abraham, the point of making him a great nation, 
was to show God was the all-powerful and all-sovereign God, and He was able to fulfill His promise from Genesis 3.15 of a Redeemer who would crush the serpent's head and undo what the serpent caused to go wrong in the garden. The purpose of Abraham's calling, the purpose of the nation of Israel, the purpose of the Old Testament was Jesus. And what God was doing in Genesis 12 by calling Abraham and promising to make a great nation through him and promising to bless all the families of the earth through him was planning the earthly lineage of Jesus. Always remember, Jesus is the point of Scripture. He said this. You search the Scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life, but these are they which point to me. All that God was doing in the Old Testament was to keep His promise of sending a Redeemer who would come in the person of Jesus. Yahweh was not and is not a puny tribal God who is only interested in and only cares about and only rules over one group of people in one small sect of land. No, the earth and the fullness thereof belongs to Yahweh. And all the people of the earth who dwell therein, they also belong to Yahweh. He created it. He founded it. He established it. The earth and the peoples therein, they belong to the Lord our God. And He has always intended to redeem all the peoples. People from every language and tribe and nation and tongue. And I want to, I want you to know this is, again, this is always part of what God was doing. I want to show you this from what would seem to be a strange place. So turn to Exodus 6. And you have all the references there in your handout. But if you can turn to Exodus 6, page 47. Now, the Exodus seems a strange place to turn to look at the idea that God had a heart for the nations. Because Exodus 6 is about God delivering His people, His unique people, the Jews, from Egyptian bondage by bringing great hardship and great judgments upon them. But all throughout the judgments, we find this one oft-repeated phrase. So Exodus 6 and 7. And I will take you to me for a people. And I will be to you a God. And ye shall know... I am the Lord your God, which bringeth you out from the burdens of the Egyptians. God was going to bring them out so they would know Yahweh, the Lord. He was their God. But now look at Exodus 7 and verse 5. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. When I stretch forth my hand upon Egypt and bring out the children of Israel from among them. So what God was doing in delivering the Jews in the way he was going to do it was to make the Jewish people realize the Lord their God was Lord. But he was also going to do it to prove to the Egyptians he was God. Not raw, not hecht, not any of the Egyptians God, but Yahweh was the one Lord God. Now what would be the point? Of God making sure they knew He was God. Well, we'll see in just a second. But we see over and over again. Look at Exodus 8 and 22. And I will sever in that day the land of Goshen, which is 
My people dwell so that no swarms of flies will be there to the end that thou mayest know I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. So God now was sending flies and he was going to do it in such a way there would be a distinction between where his people dwelt and where the rest of the world dwelt so that they would know this was not a coincidence that Yahweh was the Lord. But now jump to Exodus 9 and 29. Something interesting begins to happen here. Exodus 9 and 29, And Moses said unto him, As soon as I am gone out of the city, I will spread abroad my hands unto the Lord. And the thunder shall cease, neither shall there be any more hail, that thou mayest know the earth is the Lord's. So God is going to stop the hail, but only at Moses' command. Moses is going to stretch out his hand. He's going to pray to God, and the hail will stop. So that Egypt will know Yahweh is the Lord. But notice something going on here. Look back at Exodus 9, verse 18 through 21. Moses gives a warning. Behold, tomorrow about this time I will cause it to rain. Very grievous hell, such as not been seen in Egypt since the foundation thereof, even until now. Send therefore now and gather thy cattle and all that thou hast in the field. For upon every man and beast which shall be found in the field and shall not be Brought home, the hell shall come down upon them, and they shall die. Now look at verse 20. He that feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh made his servants and his cattle flee into houses. And he that regarded not the word of the Lord left his servants and his cattle in the field. God has been proving he alone is the one true God. And now the people of Egypt, some are beginning to fear the Lord and heed his Word. Well, this goes on. Look at Exodus 10 and 2. Thou mayest tell in the ears of thy son and thy son's son what I have wrought in Egypt and my signs which I have done among them, that you may know that I am the Lord. Again, Yahweh was the Lord. The next plague God brings upon Egypt is the death of the firstborn, which is, that was the one that sort of broke their back. Now, anyone remember... How did you avoid the death angel coming through your house? You killed a lamb and you spread the blood on the doorpost, right? What do you suppose would have happened if an Egyptian feared the word of feared God, heeded the word of the Lord, sacrificed a lamb, and wiped the blood on the doorpost? Do you believe God would have passed over the Egyptians as well as He did the Israelites? I, I do. Now, I don't think I can prove it that He did. But in light of what we saw about the hell, about some heeded, some feared the word of the Lord, some heeded the word of the Lord, I believe it is probable some did. And I'll show you why I believe it pretty strongly. Look at Exodus 12, 37 and 38. And the children of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Succoth, about 600,000 on foot that were men besides children and... A mixed multitude went up also with them, and flocks and herds, and even much cattle. So not only did the Israelites leave, but a mixed multitude. These were not Israelites. Some of these, surely, were Egyptians who had feared the Lord along the way, heeded His word, and embraced His covenant faith. In Yahweh. I believe this is exactly what happened. 
because it was always God's plan to save people from all 17,461 ethnic and people groups in the world. And I believe this for two reasons. One, God loves the nations. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but the world through him might be saved. Jesus saying God so loved the world and so Jesus died to save the world is just another way of saying God loves all 17,461 ethnic or people groups. And so Jesus died to save all 17,461 people groups. God's love, mercy, compassion for all ethnic groups, all people groups is seen all throughout the Old Testament. Let me show you one more example of this. Turn to the book of Jonah. Jonah 1 and 1, page 701. I should have wrote the number down in my Bible because I forget. I can't find Jonah about half the time. Jonah 1, right? Now the Lord, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, cry against it, for the wickedness has come up to me, come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord and went down to Joppa. And he found a ship going to Tarshish and he paid the fare thereof, went down to it to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Now, when I was a kid, I was taught Jonah fled because he feared the Ninevites. I was taught Jonah wouldn't go to Nineveh because he was afraid they would kill him when he arrived. But that's not what the story says, is it? But the, the story of, of Jonah it isn't that he feared death at the hands of the Ninevites. It's something far different. Look at Jonah 4 and verse 1. So in the intervening time, Jonah has ran. God got his attention. He went back. He preached. The people repented. God saw their works. God relented of the judgment he was going to send. And here's Jonah's response to God's relenting of judgment. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was very angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore I fled before unto Tarshish. For I knew thou art a gracious God and a merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness and repentest thee of the evil. Therefore now, O Lord, take, I beseech thee, my life from me. For it is better for me to die than to live. The fear motivating Jonah wasn't the fear of the Ninevites killing him. It was the fear of God being merciful. Jonah's fear was he would preach and the people would repent and God would forgive them. And to Jonah, it was unthinkable. To believe God would forgive Assyrians. Because they were a wicked people. They were evil people. They were harsh to the Jewish people. And Jonah did not want God to forgive them. And the fact God did made Jonah angry. And he determined it was better to die. Than to live in a world. Where God forgives Ninevites. And look at verse 4. 
Then the Lord said, Doest thou well to be angry? Jonah doesn't answer, but we'll see this again in a little bit. Jonah went out of the city, sat on the east of the east side of the city, and there made him a booth, sat under it in the shadow till he might see what would come out of the city. And the Lord prepared a gourd or a plant and made it to come up over Jonah, that it might be a shadow over his head to deliver him from his grief. So Jonah was exceedingly glad of the gourd. So God in his mercy. Well, hang on before we get that. Jonah is angry because God has shown mercy. But Jonah is not okay with God showing the mercy. So he goes out and he finds a place on the top of a hill so he can watch the city and he can watch for God to break his word. Because that's what he wants to happen. He wants God to break his word and rain down fire and brimstone upon the Ninevites and kill them despite the fact God had said he would forgive them. This is what Jonah wants. And so while Jonah sits there with this angry, entitled, racist attitude, God shows mercy to Jonah. And he causes a plant to rise up to give him shade, to keep him from being beaten in the sun, to which Jonah enjoys. But it doesn't end there. Verse 9. In verse 8, it came to pass when the sun did arise, God prepared a venomous east wind. And the sun began to beat on the head of Jonah. Oh, I'm sorry, verse 7. A worm in the morning rose the next day, smote the gourd, and it withered. Then a sun did arise, the strong wind blew, beat upon the head of Jonah so that he, he fainted, wished himself to die, and said it's better to die than to live. So Jonah now is hot, he's miserable, it's gone, he just, it's just better to die. And at this point, here's what God comes to him and says. God said to Jonah, Dost thou well to be angry for the gourd? Jonah said, I do well to be angry, even unto death. The Lord said, Thou had pity on a gourd, for which thou hast not labored, neither madest thou to grow, which came up at night and perished at night. Should not I spare Nineveh, that great city, wherein are more than six score thousand persons that cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand? And also much cattle. So God asked Jonah again, is your anger justified? Jonah says, yes, it is, even to the point of death. God then points out hypocrisy in Jonah's life. He cared for a short-lived plant he didn't plant. And if he cared for a short-lived plant he didn't plant, shouldn't God care for the eternal souls of people He created. And the answer, of course, is indeed he should. God loves and plans to save people from all 17,461 ethnic and people groups in the world. Secondly, God is to be glorified among the nations. The rising of the sun, even to the going down of the same, My name shall be great among the Gentiles, and in every place incense shall be offered unto my name. And a pure offering for my name shall be great among the heathen, saith the Lord of hosts. Now, something I realized from reading this passage last year. I've always assumed the rising of the sun, the going down of the same, was a time, right? The time the sun goes up in the morning, the time it sets in the evening, God's name is to be praised. But that's not, it's not picturing time, it's picturing distance. Everywhere the sun touches is meant to be a place where God's name is praised. Everywhere the sun shines, from where it rises to where it sets to where it rises to where it sets, everywhere the sun is seen 
is meant to be a place where God is worshipped. Not just in Israel, not just in America, but among the Gentiles, among the Pontata ethne, among the 17,461 people groups. God wants all of those people in every place to offer incense, that's worship, and a pure offering, that's worship. So His name is great among the heathen, not just so that they would say, wow, the the God of the Jews is greater, wow, the God of Christianity is great, but so they would say, wow, Jesus is great, I want to embrace Jesus. This is God's plan. We, We don't have time, but take some time and read Psalm 96. Psalm 96 is an Old Testament call to evangelize all 17,461 ethnic or people groups for the glory of God. But the glory of God is not just our being among the 17,461 people groups and we worship God and they see it. The glory of God is us being among the 17,461 people groups, evangelizing the 17,461 people groups, and some of them going from becoming pagans to worshipers of Almighty God. God intends to be worshipped and glorified among all 17,461 people groups in the world. So what I want us to do now Take time to pray. And our prayer here focuses on us having God's heart for the nations. We want God's purpose to save all to save people from 17,461 people groups in the world to be our purpose. We want to love All 17,461 people groups of the world in the way that God loves them. We want to long for God to be worshipped and glorified among all 17,461 ethnic and people groups in the world as God longs for it. And I don't have time to get into this. But the danger of this for us is us being Jonah. Because we can look at certain ethnic groups, certain people groups, and we can say they've been mean to us as Americans. Therefore, I don't want God to save them. And when that is our attitude, make no mistake, we are out of step with God. When we, I heard a story, and I don't have time for this, but I heard a story. And a pastor was going to India trying to raise money. And he went to another church to preach. And he had a meal the night before with the pastor and the deacons and some of the leaders of the church. And one of the fellows told him, son, I appreciate what you're doing and all, but just between you and me, I would rather God just blast all those heathens to hell. Now, the reality is, many American Christians would say that about, say, Muslims because of 9-11. The reality is 9-11 is not any more significant than what the Assyrians had done to Jonah's people. And yet God sent Jonah to the Assyrians to preach repentance so they would repent and God showed mercy to them. God's desire among that 
17,461 ethnic or people groups are Arab Muslims whom God loves, whom Jesus died for. And God intends to be glorified among as they convert from Islam to Christianity. And when our heart is hardened towards them and we don't care about them and we are not burdened for them and we just assume they die and go to hell, we are drastically out of step with the God we worship. We are drastically out of step with the Savior who has called us and saved us. And so we must start by praying to have God's heart for the nations. Not just the nations that look like us. Not just the nations that like us. All nations. All 17,461 people groups. Jesus died for each and every one of them. And we must long for their salvation as well. So let's take time and just pray where we are for God to give us His heart for these people. Holy Father, we come tonight and we bow and we surrender to you our hearts. We surrender our hearts for you to make our hearts like your heart. This world will disciple us to hate people who are not like us in various ways. This world will Cause us to hate those who believe different than us, who live different than us, who look different than us, who are ethnically and socially different than us. But we know that this world is under the sway of the evil one. And any any influencer, any influence causing us to hate a people certainly is not under the sway of the Savior of the world. And today we come and we renounce any sort of hatred we may have toward a people group that Jesus died to save. We repent of allowing the world to tell us how to think and not allowing your word to tell us how to think. We repent of being led by the spirit of the age rather than the spirit of Christ. And we ask you to help us so your purpose would be our purpose. So we would long for the salvation of all 17,461 people groups on the earth. So we would love, truly love, all 17,461 people groups on the earth. And we would long to see you glorified among all 17,461 people groups 
as they convert from whatever they worship now to the worship of Yahweh. As they become disciples of Jesus. Let our hearts reflect your heart for these peoples. We ask in Christ's name for his sake. Amen. The second part is praying for Free Will Baptist International Missionaries. So what I'm going to do is give you some ways, and this will be quick, um, to pray for our specifically for our Free Will Baptist International Missionaries. Uh, this link, and I tried to make it red so it would show up better, so I hope you can see it okay, and it should be on your handout, is the link to all the list of all of our Free Will Baptist International Missionaries. Right, so you go there, and they're listed, I think, in alphabetical order. And there's a picture and their name. You click on their name. It opens up a new page. It gives you a brief biography of them, tells you where they're working, even gives you a link so you can support them. At the bottom of the page, under all of the missionaries, the missionaries are grouped by country. So there's all the countries where Free Will Baptists have missionaries, and you can click on it. So if you click on France, it'll take you, and you can see, it gives you a Kind of a, a history of the French country, of, of France, tells you a little bit about the work, the Free Will Baptist work there, and then it gives you a list of all the Free Will Baptist missionaries serving there. Now, among all of the international missionaries, Free Will Baptist international missionaries, five of those families are from Oklahoma. Right? Rusty and Brenda Carney, they have three kids, Grace, Kelton, and Catherine. David and Mimi Reeves, uh, and they have a daughter named Jade, Dennis and Carol Teague. They have children, but they're adult children, so I didn't list them. Joel and Lydia Teague. Joel is one of their kids. And they have three kids, Eva, Alyssa, and Derek. And then Steve and Lori Torreson, who are actually from our association. And their two kids, Melanie and Abby. And I, I give you this list, or this, this list, because what you can do is go to the IM site. You can click on a missionary family, and you can pray for them. Sometimes it will list things that you can pray for. Uh, other times you can just pray what I call the five F's for our missionaries. Right? So F1, faithful. Backside's going crazy. Um, pray they would be faithful. Faithful to Jesus. Faithful to the gospel. Faithful to one another. Pray they would be fruitful. Fruitful through their abiding relationship with Jesus, fruitful in the mission of making disciples of all nations. Pray they would be filled, filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with the fruit of the Spirit, filled with the fruits of righteousness. And then pray they would be fully funded to do the, lot, to do the work Jesus wants them to do and live the life that, that they need to live. Um, all of those are important. All of those are necessary I'm not going to say one is more important than the other, but I do want to point out the first three we're very well aware of. They need to be faithful, fruitful, and filled. Fully funded is, of course, always an issue. Funding uh, for international missionaries is down. It's an enormous percent, but it's not just among Free Will Baptists. It's among Southern Baptists and Pentecostals and Nazarenes. Um, people have just cut back their giving to international missions. Uh, and, and as a result, some have to come home, some can't go back. It's just a difficult time to be a missionary trying to raise funds. So pray they would be fully funded.
So that's one way to pray for our Free Will Baptist International Missionaries. I gave you our Oklahoma missionaries so that no matter what, you can at least pray for them. Uh, we, I, we, pray, we pray for various ones, or I do, I pray for various ones, but always pray for our Oklahoma missionaries. There are other ways to sort of connect uh, with our Free Will Baptist International Missionaries so that we can pray for them in more specific ways than just these. Right? Connect through social media. One of the benefits of, of living in the age in which we live and of being a Free Will Baptist is that we live in an age in which virtually every missionary is online. I mean, almost every missionary family has at least one person who's on Facebook. Almost every missionary country or group has a Facebook group you can join. Now, the thing about being a free will Baptist is we're a smaller denomination. It is entirely possible for us to make Facebook friends and be a part of the groups of every single free will Baptist missionary we have. So we can know about what's going on in their life. So we can pray for them in very specific ways. Uh, Connecting with Free Will Baptist International missionaries, finding ways to pray for them has never been easier so we can connect through social media. We can get on their mailing list. Nearly every missionary sends out a letter either via email or by snail mail at least once a month. And and trust me when I tell you this, they want your email address. They want your home address. They want to send you their missionary letter so you can pray for them, that you might be thought to give to them. And so if you find one of them on social media or you connect to the, you can even, I think, through the IM site, I think you can sign up for their letters through there. And the letters are often more personal. They tell issues going on, ways you can pray very specifically. And then you can pray the hotline prayer. And I've given you the address in the handout. This is a, a weekly prayer bulletin goes out every Wednesday by the IM department. Didn't come out today though. Normally it's out around three o'clock. Uh, if, you, if you're on Facebook friends with me and you're on there, you see I typically share it on Wednesday afternoons at some point. I checked at six. It still had not been updated from last week, so I don't know what's going on there. But the good thing about this is they share it on Wednesday. And that, that list stays up until the next Wednesday when they update it again. Now, like I try to pray it on the afternoons. Sometime Friday or Wednesday afternoons, I try to sit down and I pray through the prayer list, pray for every missionary, what they have there, uh, if I have time. But if I don't have time, well, it's still up there on Thursday and Friday and Saturday and Sunday. And so if we don't have time to pray for all of the missionary issues, well, then we can pray for one or two a day because it stays up there the whole week. So this is a, a, a good way to pray to know what's going on and to pray for them. And it's updated weekly as opposed to the letters which are updated monthly. So let's take a few minutes and pray for our international missionaries. Father, we are thankful for those who leave home and leave family 
go overseas to do what, what we cannot. They go the places we cannot go. And they reach the people we will never see. And you're thankful for their commitment to you and their sacrifice. We're thankful, Lord, for their willingness to endure difficulties and raise their kids in, in these international cities and in strange places away from their grandparents. We're thankful, Lord, for their willingness to work hard. We know free will Baptist missionaries go to hard places intentionally. And they labor and they stay. They put up with the spiritual warfare they find there, the opposition often from the communities. They stress over funding. So many things, and yet they, they are faithful. And we thank you for them. And we pray, we do pray you would bless them. We pray they would be faithful to you. And they would be faithful to Jesus. And they would be faithful to the gospel. And they would be faithful to one another. Fill them with your Holy Spirit. Let the fruit of the Spirit be evident in every aspect of their lives. Let the fruit of righteousness be seen by the people they're around. And they would want what our missionaries are offering. God them, Father... They would be fully funded. Lord, money is tight pretty much everywhere. The work on the mission still needs to take place. And it's not cheap. So God, that the money would come in. They would be funded to be able to do the things you want done. I do pray especially for David and, and Mimi as they're stateside trying to raise the money they need so they can go to France. Guide them in that. Bless Steve and Lori as they raise Melanie and Abby there. Let Melanie and Abby come to Jesus at young ages and, and live for Him always. God, Rusty and Brenda as they try to reach out to the Japanese people and minister to them in the ways that they can. Father, just bless our missionaries and use them for Your glory. Let them... Be fruitful in seeing souls saved and lives changed through the power of your spirit. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Then the last part is praying for the unreached peoples. Jesus promised the gospel would be preached to all 17,461 people groups in the world. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations. And then the end shall come. I don't have time to get into the end shall come part of it, although that's kind of a cool thought to think about. What hinders Jesus' return? Could it be that there are still so many unreached people groups in the world? But that's not part of what we're doing tonight. The gospel, Jesus said, shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all the nations, all 17,461 people groups. It's easy for us in America to look and say, well, everybody's heard the gospel. I mean, the gospel has made it to the ends of the earth. There are no people in the world who have never heard about Jesus. That is simply not the case. Look at this graphic. There are... Two words used to describe um, some 
people. And they are, the words are unreached and unengaged. And when we hear that, what we can do is apply kind of our mindset. Well, I know people who are unreached. And, and I know people who are unengaged. Nobody's trying to reach them. But that's not what unreached and unengaged mean. Unreached, an unreached people group is a people in which there is no indigenous community of believing Christians, no disciples of their ethnic group with adequate numbers or resources to evangelize this people group without outside assistance. Unengaged means there are no church planning activity planned or unway or are underway. So unreached and unengaged can't be anyone in God. Right? It can't refer to people who live in a town with 13 Bible-believing, Jesus-preaching churches in their community, and those people just choose not to go. It means in the communities of the unreached and the unengaged, there are no churches. In, in almost all of the unreached and the unengaged communities, there are no disciples of Jesus. These people will likely live and die. And they will never hear the name of Jesus. Now some are in Muslim Arab world. They will hear the name of Jesus, but only as it comes through the Quran, which is not our Jesus. Others live in India, which is largely Hindu, and they will never hear of Jesus. And if you notice the unreached, there are 7,413 unreached people groups. 42.5% of the world, that is over 3 billion, with a B, billion people who have never heard of Jesus. They will live and they will die and they will go to hell without ever having heard the name of Christ. Now, you, you see, there's also the minimally reached and the superficially reached. Free will Baptist missionaries, by and large, are either in the minimally reached or the superficially reached areas. That means there's like 2% or less of the community of that ethnic group is evangelical Christian, which still is a tiny, tiny number. Now, the places where the gospel has not reached yet, they are hard places. They are dangerous places. Missionaries who go to these places are in legitimate, life-threatening danger. They are in danger of being harassed, if they're lucky. They're in danger of being arrested, very likely. They're in danger of being beaten, and they are in danger of being martyred, killed for the cause. And yet, the gospel is meant to go to these places and to these people. It puts what Jesus said in Luke 10 about sending us out as lambs among wolves in a new light, doesn't it? We can't say, well, they're hard to reach places and the people aren't nice and they don't want Christians there. We shouldn't go. No. Jesus said He's sending His disciples as lambs among wolves. Which is a dangerous place to be. 
So how can we be a part of helping reach the unreached and the unengaged? Well, of course, obviously we can give. We can go. If you want to go, I can put you in with two or three really good frontier mission agencies. We can pray. Or we can disobey. Those, those are legitimately the only options we have. We give to frontier agencies. We go to frontier places. We pray for frontier missionaries and the unreached peoples. Or we just disobey our God because we don't have his heart for the people. Our focus tonight is on prayer. To give you a, there's a better picture of, you can see how many more unreached there are than the rest of the world. I have a, a book by a frontier missionary named Dick Brogdon. Dick Brogdon has lived his entire life as a missionary to the unreached. He was born in Kenya. He came to America to college and a seminary and he returned to frontier missions. He has lived his life for the sake of God's glory among the Muslim Arab world. He's lived in Kenya. Sudan, um, Cairo, and he lives somewhere else now, but I don't know exactly where that is. But he has intentionally lived in dangerous places. He has, what I mentioned, been harassed, beaten, and arrested. He has yet to be killed, but he has been the other three. He has known his friends have been martyred for the sake of Jesus Christ. So when he talks about how to pray for the unreached, it carries some weight. So he gives 12 ways to pray for the unreached peoples of the world. They're up there, but they're also on your handout. And I put Bible verses on the handout so you can see the biblical nature of the prayers. Pray for laborers. The people are unreached in part because no one's going. Pray for conviction of sin. Many of the unreached are religious. They have their own view of righteousness and salvation and of, of a God. And what they need is the conviction the Holy Spirit can bring. Pray for the cross to be unveiled. Their minds are blinded, Paul says. And what they need is the light to shine in so they can see the glory of God. So the, the veil can be taken away and they can see what's real. Pray for faith against fear. Many of these frontier missionaries raise their families, their children in Muslim Arab Hostile places. As you can imagine, fear would be an issue. And yet, the Bible says God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and of a sound mind. Pray for the word of God to rise. Dick Brogdon is very much believes the power of the Bible. That's what the people need. They need to hear the word and let the spirit work through the word. Pray the Holy Spirit would be poured out on all people. Pray Jesus would unite the body of Christ in some places, particularly in India, which has a, a deep caste system. And I don't have time to get into it if you don't know about it, but it's an interesting thing. There's high-level caste, and then there's really low-level caste, and then there's the untouchable caste, which is even lower than the low level. And they don't intermingle. So if you have a disciple of Jesus in the higher-level caste, they would not, even though they're disciples of Jesus, they would not deem to, to talk to these people. And there needs to be a unity. Because tribalism... You know, we have in America we have denominationalism, which says I can't, I can't minister with a with a Nazarene or a Pentecostal because they're not like us. Well, in those places they have legitimate tribalism. You're not of our tribe, and so we can't minister. So there needs to be unity among the church. Pray for good soil. Uh, the parable of the soils. Pray for peace. Peace, uh, one among the, the towns. Right? If 
the village elders determine the Christians, the American Christians, have to die. That's what's going to happen. They determine they have to leave. They're going to have to leave. So pray uh, for leaders and all in authority there would be peace. And then pray that the missionaries themselves would have peace. Pray for bold proclamation. Uh, again, Dick Brogdon is very much Christians are proclaimers. Right? The gospel doesn't go forth as we do good deeds. The gospel goes forth as we declare the good news of great joy. A Savior has come. Pray against works-based salvation and legalism. Most, well, all other religions outside of Christianity are a works-based salvation. And so when, even if people can come to Jesus, they embrace a legalistic, I have to work in order to be saved, to stay saved mindset, and it destroys. So pray against that. And then pray, and again, his words, for joy in persecution. Now that's something. We don't, again, think about that. We pray. And, and, and here's the thing. That's the 12 list. He doesn't pray for there not to be persecution. For joy in the persecution. Because that will testify to the persecutors there's something powerful about their Jesus. Now one of the best ways to pray these is in connection with the unreached of the day. If, again, if you're friends with me on Facebook and you see it, I typically share the unreached of the day Every day, but it's often later at night. You can find the Unreached at the link I've given on the handout, or you can download the Unreached of the Day app on your smartphone. And it's really pretty neat. It tells you a group for the day, a picture of somebody from the group, where they're at in the world, how many people, how many there are in their people group, how many of them are evangelicals, how many of them are other types of Christians, and ways to pray what their obstacles are. It's really good. It's it's a worthy app to download if we're going to pray for the nations. One of my favorite authors of Days Gone By is a man named Andrew Murray. He made a powerful statement about the importance of prayer reaching the nations. The evangelization of the world depends first upon a revival of prayer. Deeper than our need for workers. Deeper far than the need for money. Deep down at the bottom of our spiritual lives is the need for the forgotten secret of prevailing worldwide prayer. Let's pray. Father, we love you today. You are great and awesome. You are worthy of our praise and worthy of our devotion. And we do pray, Father, you would raise up laborers to go to the unreached peoples of the world. You're worthy of the sacrifice the person would make to go there. We pray, Father, you would raise up people from Gaiman, people from our church. And they would go to the difficult, hard places to preach the gospel. To be bold proclaimers of the good news of great joy. We pray for the missionaries serving in those places that you would give them courage in the face of fear, peace in the face of danger, joy in the face of persecution. We pray that you would break down tribal barriers and where disciples of Jesus come from different tribes, they would break those barriers and they would unite together under the banner of the cross. And just as a testimony, the greatness of who Jesus is. And what Jesus has done. Let us be a people who give ourselves at the, I don't mean at the very least like that. But let's give ourselves to prayer for the nations. Pray for the nations because we have your heart for the nations. Pray for the nations where our missionaries are and for our missionaries. And pray for the nations who have yet to hear the wonderful, beautiful name of Jesus. We pray this in His name for His glory.
Amen. All right, we're dismissed.